Morning, church. Morning. It is good to see you guys. We've been joking the last couple of weeks about fighting the winter storms, but now I'm just proud of you that you came on a day when the sun is actually out. So thanks for being here. It's good to see you guys. I want to ask you to join me in this sort of exercise. I want to, I want to do a group participation here. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Show of hands. Okay, so most of us. Um, and and you, you walk up, right? You walk up right to the edge, and then you make a joke about throwing one of your kids, right? And you look, and you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and the word awesome comes to mind, right? The world's most overused word. But, but you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, you go, oh my, this is incredible. Or maybe you have been to Niagara Falls, and you see just this unbelievable amount of water coming down, the mist that is always uh, rising up, and you stand, you just hear the roar of the water, and you just stand there and go, this is unbelievable. Or maybe, um, maybe uh, think of it differently, you're out in the desert, away from all of the electric lights, you look up at night, and you see a hundred million stars looking down at you, and you just think, wow, this is absolutely mind-bogglingly beautiful. This is awe-inspiring. I'm going to show you something this morning that makes all of that stuff look commonplace. So, you know, I was going to have you turn with me. You can turn in your Bibles if you want, but, but I'd rather have you just close your eyes. I'd rather have you just close your eyes and listen as I read to you from Revelation chapter 4. What's happening here is that the Apostle John is being given a vision of heaven, and he describes it as seeing a door open into heaven, and he's called up to take a look, and he, he tries to describe what he sees. So close your eyes and listen. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. 
And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of you will they exist and they were created. That's chapter four of the book of Revelation. And then you get into chapter five and you have this strange scene where there's a book sitting in the right hand of God and he says there's nobody who's worthy to open it. There's nobody in heaven who's worthy to open it. There's nobody on earth. There's nobody under the earth who is worthy to open it until suddenly there comes one who is like the lamb of God who has been slain. And he says, I am worthy to open the book. And he takes the book from the right hand of the father and he opens the book that I just summarized a bunch of verses for you. Read it at home this week. It's amazing. But I want to pick it up in chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Whoo! That makes the Grand Canyon look like a crack in the sidewalk, doesn't it? I I love John's description here because he's trying to do the impossible. He's trying to describe the indescribable, right? And so he sounds like an American teenager. He uses the word like about every three words. He doesn't know how to describe it. He goes, you know, there's this throne and there's something like a rainbow and it was like emerald. And on, on, on the throne, there was one who was kind of like a lamb who was slain. And there were, there were these creatures, there's four of them. And, and one of them had a face, he wasn't a man, don't get me wrong, but it was kind of like his face was like, kind of like, you know, like, uh, like a little bit like a man. And then there was, there was one that was kind of like a calf and one that was like an eagle. Oh, I I forgot to tell you, they're all covered with eyes all around them on every side and kind of get, creeps you out like they're looking at you, right? And, and, and he keeps describing what it's like and he says, and then I, I saw these angels. He goes, there's, there's 24 elders, right? There's 24 thrones sitting around the big throne and on them are 24 elders and he doesn't tell us who the elders are because he knows that later on in the church we like to argue about stuff. So he leaves that open for us and he doesn't tell us who they are but there's 24 elders and they're wearing crowns and they cast down their crowns and they keep going worthy are you to be worshipped and honored and glorified and praised and these four living creatures one like a man, one like a lion, one like a calf, one like an eagle and they constantly never stop saying holy, holy holy, holy, holy holy and then there's these angels and he says there's myriads of myriads and a myriad is 10,000 so 10,000 times 
times 10,000 is 100 million. So he describes roughly, I don't know, like 100 million angels. And all of those angels are just all around this scene. And they can't stop saying, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And then he goes on and says, now if that's not enough, every created thing, everything in heaven, Everything on earth, everything under the earth, everything in the sea, all the rocks, all the trees, all the fish, all the birds, all the people, every created thing. By the way, there are two categories of things that exist. There is God and there is not God, right? There is the uncreated and there is the created. We're in the second category. So he says every created thing, everything is constantly, constantly praising him and saying, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and how long is that? Forever and ever and ever. To him be all blessing, glory, honor, and power forever. Every created thing created just to worship him, just to praise him. It's an unbelievable picture. You guys, do you see it? That's what's going on in heaven right now. Oh. Now let me ask you a question. Having heard about that scene, is there any question as to who is the king of heaven in that scene? Is there any question? These angels, these angels are awesome. Every time we see angels in scripture and human beings encountering angels, what happens? The human beings fall flat on their face and, and the angels always open with this line, hey, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. These angels are awesome to look at and terrifying. And yet, do you think that any of those angels think, hey, maybe I'm the king of heaven? Doesn't seem like it because myriads and myriads just keep singing blessing and glory and honor and power to the one who is the king of heaven. These four living creatures are indescribable. They're right there in the throne room of heaven. Do you think any of them are the king of heaven? Not a chance. There's 24 elders and they're on thrones and they have crowns. Now that sounds kind of kingly, doesn't it? But when they're in the presence of the real king of heaven, what do they do? Take off their crowns, fall flat on their face and sing holy, holy, holy to him who sits on the throne. Do you think any of them claim to be the king of heaven? It is very, very clear who's the king here, right? None of these creatures, created beings, would ever even dare to stop worshiping the true king long enough to claim to be the king themselves. They don't wear their crowns in his presence. They fall down and worship him. None of them, no matter how awesome they might be, would even dare to stop praising the true king long enough to claim to be the king. And the songs of worship and praise go on and on and on throughout eternity. And none of them ever try to usurp the authority of the one who is the true king. All of those awesome beings never try to be the king. But you know who does? Me. And you. See, <laughs> It, it, it's, it's easy to live for us. It's easy to live as if that stuff going on in heaven isn't actually going on. 
It's easy for us because we can't see it, we can't hear it, we're not watching it, we're not experiencing it firsthand, and so it's easy for us to sort of convince ourselves in the moment that we're the king of our own lives, that, that, that what's going on there is that's just something separate, that's something different, that's sort of my religious belief, but really doesn't have any bearing on anything, and so we give ourselves permission to try to be our own kings. And isn't that what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven in the first place? Remember, he said, I will raise myself up to be like the Lord God Almighty. And God said, um, you, out. Isn't that what got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden in the first place? Right? They, they bought into this lie and believed, you know what, I don't have to submit to the authority and the lordship of God. Instead, I could be my own God, and I could make my own decisions, and I could do things my own way. And God said, uh, you, out. And isn't that what you see every day on the news? Kings and, and, and prime ministers and presidents and generals and armies and revolutionaries trying to take power and hold power and do things their own way. And isn't that what we see in fancy boardrooms, in tall buildings all around the world? People who have great power and great authority and great riches trying to be in control and tearing down anybody who has power and authority above them so they can get that power and authority and be in charge. And isn't that what we see in our own households, families, people who are supposed to love each other. Instead, they're fighting and they're attacking and they're biting and devouring and destroying one another, all in a battle to see who can be in charge. And isn't this what we see on social media every day in our society? People arguing over their own opinions their own preferences, doing whatever they have to do to win the debate, right? I saw this week a thread on social media where a whole group of people were arguing and belittling and bullying one another over the question of which is worse, people who, who take their little daughters and dress them up uh, and overly sexualize them for beauty pageants, or... Uh, drag queen shows that are designed for an audience of children, which of those is worse? And, and dozens and dozens of people just arguing because they have one point of view or another and belittling one another. And it doesn't matter how rude you are. And it doesn't matter how insulting you are to your opponent. What matters is that you win the fight because we hate to be the follower. We love to be in charge. We hate to be the loser. We want to be the winner. We, we can't stand to be wrong. We have to be right. And we hate to submit. We want to be the king. And so Peter has been reminding us as Christians that we are called to be different. As Christians, we're supposed to be light in the midst of the darkness of our society. As Christians, we're supposed to be known not as those who are judgmental and condemning and hypocritical, but as those who are loving and kind and just. So that if anyone has anything negative to say against us, it should be because we are living such a righteous life, not because we're talking about a righteous life and living 
differently. And that's what Peter has been trying to get across for these last several verses. So that's the context from last week. We saw this in 1 Peter chapter 2. You're wondering if I'm going to get to 1 Peter. Yes, I am. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's toward the back of your Bibles after the big book of Hebrews. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and just to remind you, last week we looked at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And that brings us to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Here's what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one who is in authority or as the governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And there it is. The dreaded S word. Submit. We hate that word. Nobody I know loves that word. The, this, this idea that somehow I'm going to step back and let somebody else step forward, this idea that I'm going to somehow quiet down and let somebody else speak up, this idea that I'm going to follow and let somebody else lead, this idea that I'm going to be submissive, we just fight against it in every fiber of our flesh. We cringe when we hear that word. Because it means we're not in charge. It means we may not get our way. It means we might have to follow instead of lead. And I keep reminding you, I warned you when we began this study of 1 Peter, that as we faithfully go through this book and don't skip the hard verses, we're going to run into a whole bunch of places where God's going to talk to us about things that make us highly uncomfortable. And this is one of those passages, because God's going to demand that we become more submissive. So if you have a problem with that, I want to encourage you, send your emails to godatheaven.com, skip me, okay? This is the word of God, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't particularly like it. Submission. First of all, the word submission is a word that is kind of misunderstood. It's a word that kind of has a bit of a bad rap. Um, we think that submission means uh, being abused, being taken advantage of, being stepped on, being used as a doormat of some sort. And we don't like that idea. None of us do. But that's not what the word submission means. Submission is a condition of the heart that is rooted in humility. It's an act of the will to be submissive. It can't be forced upon you. We have to choose submissiveness. It means that by an act of my own will, I will not insist on having my own way, but instead will bow to the authority and leadership of another. It's not the same thing as obedience. Obedience implies that the person who you're submitting to has the power to force you. You can be forced to obey. You cannot be forced to submit. Submission is a condition of the heart and is rooted in humility. And most of us who are Christians, we can, 
we can do this. We can take a deep breath and we can say, okay, I know there is a God and I'm not him. We, we get that. And, and I, I know that because there is a God and I'm not him, I am supposed to submit to him. Okay, I can deal with that. But do not ask me to submit to anybody else. That I'm not interested in. But then Peter has the audacity. One thing Peter has plenty of is audacity, right? Peter has the audacity here to tell us to submit to some people we have absolutely no interest in submitting to. And that's what makes this passage so hard. And he tells us to do it for the Lord's sake. Because he understands what our objections are going to be. He knows that the minute we're told to submit to somebody, we're going to come up with a list of reasons why we ought not to submit to that person because that person is not good, not smart, not wise, not trustworthy, and we shouldn't submit to that person. And he says, listen, it's actually not about that person. It's about the Lord. For the Lord's sake, he says, submit. Look again, verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, I am not going to take the time to talk about what is wrong with our government leaders. You can watch Fox or CNN or Twitter or whatever brainwashing tool you prefer, and they'll tell you. But for our purposes, can we just agree that the people who govern us are far from perfect? Can I get an amen? Amen. That's the best amen I've had in years. (laughs) That is some agreement right there. And guys, it doesn't matter if it's City Hall. Or, or if it's the sheriff's office, or if it's the courthouse, or if it's the state capitol building, or the halls of Congress, or the White House, or our home church, or our own families, every person who's been given the responsibility of leadership has one thing in common, we're all sinners, all of us imperfect, all of us selfish. There are no exceptions to that rule. It's a universal problem. The people in charge are all imperfect sinners. And yet, Peter is telling us that we need to submit to these imperfect people. And by the way, this is not just some wild hair that Peter got. This is all throughout the scripture. In fact, Paul talks about this. Go to Romans chapter 13. Just leave a marker there in 1 Peter. We'll be back. Go to Romans chapter 13. And let's look at what Paul has to say about this. Romans is after Acts and before 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. 
That's the Apostle Paul. That's fairly straightforward. The writer of Hebrews also addresses this. So go back toward 1 Peter. Right before you get to 1 Peter, you get to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. It too is a big book. You can find it rather quickly. Hebrews chapter 13. And look at verse 17 with me. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Even Jesus instructed his followers to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and that question came about, should we pay our taxes or not? And he said, yeah, pay your taxes to evil Caesar who is grossly overtaxing you, terribly mistreating you, persecuting you, and stealing your rights. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And then just in case we're afraid that he just talks a good game, Jesus sets the example for us in that he himself submits to the authorities even when they come to take him into custody, even when he goes through unfair trials, even when he is tortured, even when he is executed all the time maintaining that spirit of submissiveness and humility. You know, think about Jesus. Did he want to go to the cross? Well, I mean, if you listen to the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, it sure doesn't sound like it. He asked the Father three times, please let this cup pass from me. Please let this cup pass from me. Please let this cup pass from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And he gets up and submitting to the Father, submits himself to the authorities, who, by the way, are evil and unjust. I googled Bible verses about submission to human authority. I got over a hundred passages. It's beginning to end, you guys. I kept thinking, well, these must be obscure verses. Maybe they're not related to the actual context. Maybe if I find something else, it'll say you don't have to submit so much. But in fact, over and over and over, Genesis to Revelation, we're told to submit to those who are in authority over us. And, and listen, let me be extremely clear, because some of us are starting to fidget, and we're thinking about some t- terrible situations, some abusive people, and we're wondering, are we really supposed to be submissive even when people are evil? Listen, it doesn't mean that we are always to obey human authority. There are times when what is being asked by those in authority is contrary to what God tells us to do, and he's the ultimate authority. And there are times when, like the apostles in the book of Acts, we may have to say to those in authority, we must obey God rather than men, and then submissively and humbly face the consequences of submitting to God and not to men, right? So the Bible does call us to always be submissive even when we have to be disobedient. So am I calling people who are in abusive relationships to just stay there and let someone abuse you? Absolutely not. That is not what the Bible is teaching. Am I saying that when uh, some evil government tells you you have to go and murder people that you're supposed to just go and do that? Absolutely not. But you know what? There may be a very high cost to submitting to God rather than submitting to men. And we maintain that submissive attitude and face the music, trusting 
that the one who sits on that throne, surrounded by 24 other thrones, has got our backs. We submit to him. Remember, submission is a position of the heart based on humility before a holy God. And God calls us to submit. How can God require that of us? Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at it again. Oops, too far. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves to, for, the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, the governors as sent by him for punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. We do it for the Lord's sake. For such is the will of God. Guys, this is very difficult for us. And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like it's any less difficult for me than it is for the rest of you. It is extremely difficult to remember that when I'm submitting to one who's been given authority, that I'm actually doing it not as a submission to that person, but as a submission to God. But that's what he says it is. Look at verse 16. Act as free men. We just sang about this. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Use it as bond slaves of God. Once again, who are we submitting to? The one to whom we are a bond slave, right? Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Praise God he set us free. I said, the, I said our leaders are not good, and everybody's like, yeah, amen. I said, praise God, he set us free, and where were you? Amen. Okay, we're going to try this together, maybe if I conduct. Praise God, he set us free. Amen. Oh, I love it. The people across the street heard it. That's good. He set us free. Guys, what did he set us free from? God has set us free, if we're in Christ, from the grip of sin. He's set us free from eternal damnation, which is due to us because of our sin. He's set us free from the control of our flesh so that we are no longer slaves to self, but we become bondservants to God. He's set us free from the snare of the devil who is constantly trying to tempt us and trap us and lead us astray. We do have freedom. We are not forced to be submissive. We have choices. But how should we use that freedom? Not as an opportunity for the flesh, it says. Not as an opportunity to further our own fleshly agenda, but instead as an opportunity to shine the light of Christ in a dark world. He calls us to exercise our free will to choose submissiveness. It is not a sign of weakness to be submissive. It is a sign of superhuman strength. Remember, when Peter tells us to honor the king, he is writing to a group of people who are being persecuted by Nero. And he tells them 
to honor the king. You think it's hard for us to think about that when we think about who's in Congress and who's in the White House and who's in the governor's mansion and all that kind of stuff? Imagine if those people were chasing you down, pulling you out of your home, locking you up, and murdering you in the streets. That's exactly what these people were facing. And still, Peter says, your heart is supposed to be a heart of submissiveness. Wow, that's hard to take. To show respect to even a tyrannical leader is not to respect his beliefs or his practices. It's to respect the fact that he too is under authority. And that authority is of the true king. And he may not be aware of it. And he may not care about it. But guess what? The king is still the king. And, and, and vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And every one of us will give an account for the responsibility we have been given. And every person that God uh, places in a position of responsibility or allows to be in a position of responsibility will answer to him because we are all servants of the king, whether we recognize it or not. You and I are called to maintain a submissive heart. And again, I'm not talking about supporting evil practices. I, I'm not talking about uh, agreeing necessarily with our leaders. I'm not talking about sitting back and doing nothing in the face of evil. What an incredible privilege. Some of you are watching online from other countries, but here in the United States, what an incredible privilege we have that we actually have a voice in our government we actually have a constitution that, that supports our rights. And I know we get all upset because we feel like the constitution is being pushed and all that kind of stuff. You know what an incredible blessing it is to have rights? You know what an incredible blessing it is to be a government of the people, by the people, for the people? This is not a pro-America speech. If you need a pro-America speech, you're probably living in the wrong country. I'm just telling you right now, it is an incredible privilege that we have the right to bring suits even against our government, that we have the right to stand up, that we have the right to not have to um, put aside our religious beliefs or our personal rights in order to do any of these kind of things. What we do not have a right to do, even as American citizens, because we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, we do not have a right to be unsubmissive. So God calls us to this submissive heart. I'm talking about maintaining a spirit of submissiveness through it all. And it's incredibly difficult to do because it isn't fair. It doesn't seem right. And so many in authority don't seem worthy of our trust and honor, but let's keep reading because <laughs> Peter knows what we're going to say. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. He keeps trying to get our attention back to the one to whom we actually answer. This finds favor with God. God's not asking us to trust evil people. God's asking us to trust him. And here's the thing. God is always good. God is always just. 
God is always loving. God is always righteous. God is never thwarted. He is never overcome. He is never confused. He is never misled. He is never tempted. Our God is good 100% of the time. Can you trust a God like that? That's what we're called to do. And God has the final word. Do you remember that picture of heaven? God's the one on the throne. He has the ultimate authority. He alone is the king. And every knee will ultimately bow to him. Can we trust him for that? If we truly follow Jesus, we may have to endure some unjust suffering. The the loss of a job because you refused to compromise right and wrong in order to do what your boss said you had to do. The loss of an opportunity because you weren't willing to cut the corners and cheat and move ahead of somebody else. The, the loss of a friendship, the loss of an important relationship. We may have to suffer some loss. We may even have to lose this, the, the, uh, the freedom that we hold so dear. We, we could actually have to lose our lives. The guy who wrote this book, Peter, was crucified upside down, submissively. <laughs> It's shocking. It's hard to picture. But nobody can take away the fact that my submission finds favor with the one who sits on the throne. Nobody can take away my eternal life. Nobody can take away my heavenly rewards. Nobody can take away my position as a blood-bought, heaven-bound child of God. Nobody takes that away. So this command It doesn't come down to trusting the imperfect and sinful and selfish humans who are placed in positions of leadership in our lives. It comes down to trusting our perfect and holy and loving God who will forever sit on the throne. To him be all blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever, and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand up. Let me pray for you. Lord, we confess right now that we're trying to get this glimpse of heaven and we're, we're trying to see what John was able to see and it's still murky and it's blurry and it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around and it's just by faith, the faith that you give us, that we trust that you're really sitting on that throne, that we trust that you really have all power and all wisdom and all dominion and all authority and all love and all grace. We're trusting in that, God, by faith. Give us greater faith. Because, Lord, we live in a world where we don't always trust those who are in authority over us, and rightfully so. We live in a world where some of us have been placed in authority over others, and we're humbled by it because we know that we're not worthy of it. We live in a world where nobody is actually trustworthy to the end, except you, O God. And so we commend ourselves to you. We, We lay ourselves on the altar as living sacrifices, trusting that you and you alone sit on the throne, that you and you alone have all authority and all power and all wisdom and all might and all love. And we ask you, God, to take care of us as we submit to you. Help us submit even to those you've placed in authority over us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.